0: Hi, my name is Dominic Graziano, and I'm on media staff. You're listening to week eight of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Ed Newton. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together to celebrate the goodness of our God. Can we also just put our hands together to show some love to this incredible band who's led us faithfully in a time of worship? Amen. Amen. If you got a Bible, let's go ahead and open up together to Mark chapter 5. Now if you're new to False Creek and you're wondering why we cheer at this statement, let's open our Bibles, here's the reason why is because the number one lost and found item in churches all across America is not umbrellas, it's Bibles. And if we're going to be a generation that turns the world upside down, better yet, turns the world right side up, can I get an amen from somebody? Then we have to understand that the greatest treasure we've been given outside of the Holy Spirit, our salvation, eternal security, and heaven being our final destiny is the fact that God gave us the ultimate mapquest.com. That is His Word. It's ways for us. It navigates us in this truth in the reality that God would so love us that He would give us His Word. And so students, for those of you that take this particular tradition back to your church, you might want to warn your pastor because on Sunday, when He tells everybody to open up their Bibles and you lose your ever-loving mind, it's going to completely freak everybody else out around you, which means that you would have to somehow, some way, explain that. But my prayer is that you would never stop cheering for the fact that God gives you His Word. So we get to Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 35 in just a few moments. But I want to share a message. We've talked about the mystery, friends. We talked about the mystery condition. Tonight, we're going to talk about the mystery interruption, the mystery interruption. Now, as we get to Mark chapter 5, verse 35, let me just use this illustration to teach you a principle that life is filled with a series of interruptions. Interruptions create redirections. That is, a choice has to be made to go in an opposite direction because sometimes the intervention is something, or excuse me, that interruption is the intervention that you are not expecting, but God begins to redirect your path to put you in something that he has something in store for you better than what you could actually do for yourself. But also we have to understand that divine interruptions serve as divine invitations to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. thus the illustration. My oldest daughter, her name's London, she was born June 6, 2003. She's 16 years old. My daughter Lola was born June, or excuse me, January 27, 2005. They're 19 months apart. It's now April 1, 2005, that is the time frame as I try to time stamp this particular story. My wife leans over to me one evening and she shows me a pregnancy test. It's April first, two 2005. I don't know it's April Fool's Day, I mean, I, I've, I'm aware of April Fool's Day, but I'm not knowing that my wife is playing an April Fool's joke on me at this moment by showing me a pregnancy test. And it's at that moment I'm like, hey, babe, um, we just had a baby. Is this making sense to you? We just had a baby. Like so how, how is this happening, which I understand biology 101 how that happens. But what I'm saying is, we just had a baby, and Lola's three months old. And it was at that moment that my wife, at that moment, goes, April fools. This was actually the pregnancy test that is proof positive from Lola's scrapbook. I just wanted to see how you would respond. A few days later, my wife all of a sudden begins to wake up with morning sickness. <laughs> she says, Ed, I'm not feeling good. I'm like, babe, you good? She's like, "Ah, I think I got the flu. I was like, maybe you ought to go to the doctor, and sure enough, she calls, she goes, Ed, you remember that April Fool's joke that you and I had? Um, I'm really pregnant, and surprise, we got another kid. Her name's Liv, by the way, and she's 12 months between Lola and Liv. We also have a fourth child. His name's Lawson. We adopted him, and for those of you that are like, okay, what, what, what's your family makeup? Three daughters. A son from Ethiopia, Africa. My family's like a bag of Skittles. My wife's Filipino. I call her my brown sugar. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I got sugar babies. Call my son my sugar bear. Which, by the way, it's so cool to have an African-American son in our home. I love it. I love everything about it. You're like, you're like, Ed, uh, you're the whitest dude I've ever met in my life. Absolutely. I I, I love having an African-American in my home. Two things I know about my son. Number one, I got to make sure my boy's got some cocoa butter on. Y- y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Some, anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Hello. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. What, sweetie, what's your name? What, you just shouted out in front of everybody. What's your name? Jaden? Caden. Awesome. You don't even need a microphone, Caden. It's incredible. So here's the reason why cocoa butter is very essential to my son's daily routine. Here's the reason why. Because if he goes to school ashy, it's not his fault. It's his white daddy's fault, right? Second thing is I'm teaching my son, I'm like, hey, dude, listen, my hair's a little bit different from your hair. I brush my hair backwards. Brothers don't brush their hair backwards. They brush their hair forwards because the waves, the ladies like the waves, all right? So can I get an amen from some brothers in the house tonight? And so amen. But all that to say, all that to say, when you become a dad, there are moments of interruption. Several interruptions, but this dad I'm going to talk about tonight, his name is Jairus, and he's got a daughter who's 12 years old who's about to die. We get to Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35, and if you're with me tonight, come on, say yeah. Yeah. It's in verse 35, the Bible says, while he was still speaking, now who is speaking? That is Jesus. What did he say? Remember he said this to the woman who had the mysterious condition, daughter, you are healed. He just finished that statement, exclamation mark. There's a lot of emojis flying around at this particular juncture in the story. And as soon as he says these words, he is mysteriously interrupted. He's interrupted By Jairus, and the Bible says in verse 35, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope you do. By the way, you'll forget 85% of everything I say from this stage. I'm not that impressive to captivate your attention for 30 minutes. I promise you. For many of us that sit in this room, here's what I want you to understand, if you'll just take some notes, jot some stuff down, we mentioned this last night, use some sunscreen, bug spray, whatever you got to use to take notes tonight, mascara, lipstick, anything you got, you need to be taking some notes. Here's the reason why, because your cabin devo time will be a very significant conversation if you can just remember some stuff. I'm not that impressive to captivate your attention, but God's word never returns void. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And my prayer for you is that you would get God's word in your heart. And as you write down some principles, it makes it a little bit more sticky. So point number one, write this down. You'll see this. There is a spoken interruption. A spoken interruption. It's in that moment that Jesus has just begun to speak healing over the woman with the blood flow problem. And it's at that moment that he is now interrupted. The whole story tonight is about interruption. Life is filled with interruptions. And as Jesus is speaking healing over a woman, he's interrupted by a man who's got a problem. And his problem is this, Jesus, I have a daughter at the house, she's 12 years old, and you're the only one that could heal her. It's at that moment that the disciples are standing around Jesus, and their whole ministry has been this one interruption after the next. Matter of fact, when you look at Mark chapter five, it's a series of interruptions, mysterious interruptions. Jesus has just delivered a man from a demon. Hello, that's an interruption. Then all of a sudden, has a woman who begins to pull on what we call the seat seat that was on the talit, the prayer shawl. We talked about that last night. He's interrupted. And while Jesus is speaking healing over a woman that interrupted him, now he's interrupted by somebody else that goes, I got a problem. But Jesus never saw an interruption as an interruption. Jesus saw an interruption as a divine opportunity for divine intervention. And I want to just say this tonight. I want to speak this over the house tonight. My prayer is that the God of the universe would divinely interrupt your life right here, right now to redirect you into a living, breathing, real, relevant relationship with Jesus. Come on, can we clap to that? Would that be all right? We're believing that tonight. Believing that tonight. So while he's interrupted by Jairus, watch this, Jairus is now interrupted by a servant from the house with no political correctness, no couth, no sensitivity, stone cold. Walks up to Jairus as Jairus has interrupted Jesus. Now this particular servant, messenger, interrupts Jairus as Jairus is interrupting Jesus. He looks at Jairus and goes, listen, your daughter's dead. I mean, that's how he says it. No Hallmark card, no box of Kleenexes, your daughter's dead. And then he gives him this very salty statement, why bother the teacher anymore? You know what that means? In the original language, when you break that down into what's called the Greek construct, the New Testament is written in what's called Greek portions of Aramaic, the Old Testament is in the book of Hebrew, portions of Aramaic. And what you'll also know is this, is that when the Bible gives this statement, sometimes we begin to look through the filter and go, I think I know what's going on. When that particular messenger says, so why bother the teacher any longer? It sounds as if that is a kind statement, but it's not a kind statement in the Greek construct. It's actually a very sarcastic statement as to say, Jairus, you left your house While your daughter was sick and in that moment you thought that he could fix you, you have wasted your time with this Jesus. And that's the scenario. But I love what Jesus does. Notice this in verse 36. Y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. Notice this in verse 36. It says, but overhearing what they said. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. As to say, watch this, Jesus has been interrupted by a woman with the blood flow problem. He's now interrupted by Jairus. Jairus gets interrupted by a messenger, but Jesus doesn't even check up. He doesn't even notice this man who has spoken actually a very critical, sarcastic statement towards Jesus. He looks at Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. I want to quote the great theologians known as Journey, by the way, from the great 80s, that is a music band. Don't stop what? Believing. But hold on to what? Hold on to that feeling. Jesus says to Jairus, in essence, those same words don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. What was that feeling? That Jesus is the great miracle worker. That Jesus is the one who can allow your obstacle to become an opportunity. Can I get a witness from somebody in the house tonight? That He could take your mess and turn them into a miracle. Can I get a witness from somebody in the house tonight? That he could supply your miracle, he could take what's impossible and make it indescribable. So when Jesus looks at that messenger with a glance, but yet continues to talk to Jairus, he says, don't you fear. Here's the reason why. Because what you see as a period is not a period in the sentence, it's a comma. It's a comma. Which means that the story, can I use improper English tonight at Falls Creek Week 8 right here in Davis, Oklahoma? The story ain't over. It ain't over. Can I just speak this into somebody's life tonight? Your story ain't over. You're like, Ed, my situation, my struggle, my symptom, as we talked about last night, seems quite impossible. It's a mountain that stands in front of me. But I want to say this to you. I know a God that can move that mountain. And all it takes for you is to believe. Don't stop believing. Point number two, write this down. Not only Do we see that there was a spoken interruption? But point number two, I want you to see a surprising interruption. A surprising interruption. Now notice this here in verse 38. They came, which by the way would be Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and Jairus. That's the they. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to say the word commotion. Look at your other neighbor right now and say the word commotion. Now what this means is, because what we just created was commotion. That's what we just created. As you said commotion, you just created commotion. Does that make sense? That is, there was a rumble. There was a sound. But what was this commotion? The Bible would say in verse 38 that this commotion was people weeping and wailing loudly. Now I'm going to nerd out. Is it okay if I nerd out for just a second? What's happening in this particular moment is not just weeping and wailing because according to Jewish tradition, the bare minimum at a person's death is to have two flute players and one professional wailer. I know that doesn't make sense to many of us in this room, but these flute players and this one wailer were hired out people contractually to show up, which meant that most likely they did not know Jairus' daughter. But what they are doing is somehow creating an atmosphere of despair and disappointment. But they're hired. So Jesus walks in and because this individual known as Jairus is the ruler of a synagogue, he would not have the bare minimum in regards to two flute players and one professional whaler. But the whole house is filled with flute players. The whole house is filled with whalers. So Jesus walks into utter chaos. And the surprising interruption that I want you to see tonight, I want you to notice this. And in verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, this is the surprising interruption, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And don't miss this phrase. The child is not dead, but sleeping. The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now come on, Jesus the fact that they are wailing and there's flutes being played is a clear indicator that girlfriend's dead. Like, she's dead. She's, like, she has gone. She's dead. But Jesus walks into the house. Utter chaos and commotion. But can I just, oh, I'm about to have a connect outburst on this stage. When the giver of life, the resurrection in the life, the one who is the author and finisher of life, when Jesus, who is eternal life, walks into a place where there is death, Jesus gets to change the story. And the reason why the story is not done and the story is not finished is because Jesus is in the house. Can I just say this tonight? Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. And because he's in the house, guess what he gets to do? He gets to redefine death. You go, Ed, where did he redefine death? He goes, the girl ain't dead. She's sleeping. Sleeping. As to say, I'm about to flip the script on this story. Because when the resurrection and the life begins to speak, the giver of life begins to change the atmosphere. I want to say this to you. Because of the f- faith and promise that we have in Jesus Christ, death is not a dead end. Death is a doorway. Death is not a period, it's a comma. And when we understand this, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man to die once, then face the judgment. I need you to know that you were created with a soul. Ecclesiastes 3, says, God has placed eternity in our heart. And though we may physically die, understand something, our soul was created to live for all eternity. One or two places. I want you to listen to me. What I'm about to say, I find no joy in saying, but I will not be a good, faithful Bible preacher if I don't tell you there's a real hell. There's a real hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. You know why? Because he wants nobody to go there. And because of that faithful promise of who Jesus is, there is a Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. But when Jesus says this this statement in this moment, as to say, she is not sleeping. or Excuse me, not dead, but sleeping. Here's what he's saying. I am the giver of eternal life. And I'm about to flip the script in this situation. And I'm going to do something that's going to blow your ever-loving mind. But notice this. When he said this, notice verse 40. They laughed at him. But I love this phrase. By the way, this is a good leadership lesson for a lot of us that are in ministry today. And when they laughed at him, he put them all on the outside. That is the scoffers, the mockers, the quarrelsome. Jesus goes, y'all got to go. So this is how this looks down. It looks like He looks at the flute players and the wailers and he's like, hey, listen, here's some money. God bless you. I need y'all to get out the house. And he kicks them out the house. And I'm just picturing like flute players going, oh, oh, oh okay, cool. Um, and they leave. And then what we begin to notice is that Jesus is beginning to redefine the situation. Don't, let me just talk to you about redefining the situation. There was a particular Sunday school lesson that was being taught on an Easter Sunday morning. And the Sunday school teacher had this assignment. The assignment was to go find something that represents life. And so the teacher gave basically these empty eggs that oftentimes would have candy on the inside and gave these empty eggs to students in her class and just said, as we go out basically on a field trip, an excursion into our parking lot and into the vicinity of our church, I need you to find something that represents life. And so you can only imagine what a group of seven, eight, nine-year-olds would bring back in that egg. And so what happens, it was a show-and-tell moment, and the teacher begins to open up an egg, and then a bug would crawl out, and everybody would just ooh and ah. And then the teacher would continue to open up the next egg, and the next egg, and the next egg. And it was weeds, and it was flowers, and it was leaves, and it was so many other things. And what would happen is that this moment now begins to have this crescendo attached to it, And as this empty egg was opened, thinking that now it's filled with something else, she opens it and on both sides it's empty. So the little children were given eggs empty and they were to fill it with something that would represent life. But this egg was given empty and it comes back empty. And so the teacher just went, who didn't understand the assignment? And little Johnny from the back of the Sunday school classroom raises his hand. Little Johnny's about eight years old, and little Johnny is a bright young man, articulate, bold, and brave, and he has Down syndrome. And it was at that moment that the teacher felt such compassion and just went, Johnny, I am so sorry. I was not clear on the assignment. And little Johnny, as he always was, was quick and witty and said, teacher, I understood the assignment. So Johnny, why is your egg empty? And then little Johnny said this teacher, you told us to go out into the parking lot and find something that represents life. And I was looking around at my friends and they were finding all kinds of crazy stuff. But teacher, I was thinking, it's Easter. And the best thing that represents life is the empty tomb of Jesus. And she said, are you telling me that your egg is empty? Because Jesus left the tomb empty and Johnny went, that's right, teacher. That's why my egg is empty. And two weeks later, the saddest news of all rocked this little church because Johnny died. One of the most difficult things, and I'm going to just put this in parentheses, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as a pastor is to preach a funeral. I didn't preach Johnny's funeral, it's a sermon illustration, but I've had to preach many children's Funerals, And it's the most difficult thing I've ever done, to have to stand on a stage and look down at a small casket. But this particular story that I'm sharing with you today, though I was not there, it's just an illustration, was a moment where that casket was open and everybody would begin to pay their tribute. But a little Sunday school class with probably about 10 kids in it, as they walked by Johnny's casket, what they put on the inside of that casket was something so symbolic, and I believe it's got truth for us, that what Johnny taught them that day on Easter Sunday is because Jesus is alive, then death has lost its sting. That death does not get the victory, and the grave has been overcome. And as they walk by, they put eggs inside his casket as a reminder of what Jesus is even saying to us today. That though we may die, understand this is not our final destiny. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Because I gave my life to Jesus October 17th, 1990. If I were to drop dead on this stage, I need you to know that my soul goes into the presence of a glorious, redeeming, saving relationship with God forever. And one day, and we'll talk about this later on this week, one day He's coming again. And my body will be reunited with my soul. A glorified body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death. But I need you to know this so that when Jesus begins to speak this word, that she's not dead, she's sleeping. What Jesus is helping us understand is because Jesus enters the story in a beautiful divine interruption, the story now changes in eternal life and forgiveness and salvation and the hope of heaven is all made possible by one person and his name is Jesus and he's the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world. Come on, can we clap to that? Would that be all right? But point number three, write this down and we'll be done. Not only do we see a spoken interruption, a surprising interruption, but now we see point number three, we see a supernatural interruption. I love this, verse 40, they laughed at him, but he put them all on the outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and went where the child was. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, that is the daughter, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, don't miss this word, arise. Now, here's what many would say. Why did Jesus have to be so specific in that moment to take her hand to say, little girl, arise? Here's what I believe. If Jesus was not specific with that little girl, then Jesus would have brought everybody back from the dead all at the same time. That's how powerful the name of Jesus is in this place and in this story. He had to be very specific. Where everybody would have come back from the dead in that moment. So he had to be very specific. And when he said little girl, as he begins to speak to her, we don't know her name, Mystery Person. In the story, we don't know her name. We just know her as Jairus' daughter. He used this word, arise. That literally means get up. Can I just say this tonight? I've been thinking about this all day in this moment, envisioning you, praying for you tonight. Here's been my heart's desire in this message that you would hear the name of Jesus call you by name and tell you tonight to get up. That you would respond to this invitation of who Jesus is. That you would hear him call your name. That you would get up from your seat and you would come forward and you would say yes to Jesus. Understanding that he would give you life eternal. That your past does not define you. Your future has been written for you. That you would hear these words arise. And as he speaks this over your life, understand this. When he says these words to you, your story is not finished. He's saying to you... Arise. Your struggle is not for nothing. Arise. Your soul is not forsaken. Arise. Jesus calls you by name. And don't miss this. At the end of this story, there's a moment when she comes back to life. Verse 42. And immediately the girl got up, began walking, and here's this incredible connection that I want to give you. She was 12 years of age and were immediately overcome with amazement. What does that mean? Everybody look this way. It was like poof. Here's the connection. Do do you remember the woman with the blood flow problem? Oh, come on. Do, Do you remember she had been battling that mystery condition for how long? 12 years. This girl was how old? 12 years. So when this girl was born, this woman began in a mystery condition. Two independent stories with a divine connection all made possible by a divine interruption that brings these two worlds together. But it would not have been for that moment, don't miss this, if that woman did not grab the seat seat from the prayer shawl of Jesus. If she did not do what she did last night and stop Jesus, it's by the fact that she stopped Jesus that Jairus was able to find Jesus. Come on, are y'all with me tonight? Because Jesus would have kept walking. Jesus would have been in another vicinity. But Jairus had been looking all over for Jesus and he would have never seen Jesus in the crowd unless somebody stopped him. I'm going to just be honest with you because I I just need to share this with you. I've never seen that part in the story until right now as I'm speaking. Can I just say this tonight? I know it's going to sound really weird. I know you feel like I'm speaking to you, but God is speaking to you through me, which is an incredible privilege. But as I'm speaking to you, it's a difference between speaking at you. I'm not speaking at you. I'm speaking to you. But at the same time, God's speaking to me as I'm standing on this stage. And I've never seen that before. And as, I'm coming, as it's coming out of my mouth, it's the first time I've actually heard that myself. And God's given me revelation that sometimes the moment we find Jesus is actually because someone else's divine interruption That sometimes in these moments, at a week at camp, God does something. He breaks in, he breaks through, and he brings blessing because you've watched somebody else's life get divinely interrupted. But tonight, what God is doing in this moment is speaking over this house, and he's saying to each and every one of you, get up. Get up from your situation. Don't stop believing That the same Jesus that defeated sin, death, and hell has come back from the dead is big enough to take care of the details of your life. Just because it got hard doesn't mean that God's not in it. (laughs) Many of you have walked into this place and you're like, I'm done with God because of your circumstances. But don't miss this. When we see Jesus first, it allows us to interpret our circumstances. But oftentimes we reverse it and we see our circumstances And we allow that to filter our perspective of who Jesus is. But if we could just be reminded that when Jesus comes into the room, he changes stuff. When Jesus is in our midst, the story ain't over. When Jesus is in the house, things begin to change. And right here, right now, Jesus is going, do you see me? Do you see me call you by name? And he's saying to you tonight, come to me. He's saying to you, young man, young lady, get up. Arise and come to Jesus. Let's stand together if you don't mind. Thank you for listening tonight. And as we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. I believe I was informed that let's... That 120, I believe 117, my numbers may be off, but 117 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ last night in this room. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I believe this to be true. Luke 15 says when one person, even though that was 117, but when one person makes that decision, all of heaven turns into a fat daddy party. And it's a tremendous celebration. And it's a tremendous party. And I can just picture Jesus going, another son, another daughter to the family of God. I believe Jesus high-fiving some angels right now as we begin to watch the supernatural unfold here in this moment. But here's the principle. That as God desires to interrupt your life and He's speaking over your life, arise, get up, come to me. That's what He's saying to you. So here's what I'm going to do. For some of you, you've been trusting in religion. For some of you, you've been trusting in your good, outweighing your bad. I want to make this statement. I want you to hear me. Good people don't go to heaven. save people go to heaven. Your religion can't save you. Matter of fact, I love how Lecrae says this. You've you got, you got to turn from your religion and trust in Jesus. For some of you, maybe on the other side of that, you're going, Ed, but you don't know what I've done. My life is scarred with so many mistakes, so many mishaps, so many faults, so many failures. We serve a Jesus that takes broken pieces and He makes masterpieces. It's not too late for you. You're not too far gone. Jesus is mighty to save. And tonight, if you are saying, I am tired of trusting in everything else, but I'm ready to trust in Jesus. I want to be very clear, this is not commitment time towards rededication, those are great moments, but this is a moment of going, I have been trusting in so many other ways to get to heaven, but tonight I am putting my faith and trust in Jesus, and the last thing I'm going to do is stand on this stage and try to manipulate you and intimidate you to give your life to Jesus, though I'm trying to, yes, influence you, but if I could talk you into something, someone else is going to talk you out of it. But I I believe what God's doing in this moment, there's some young men, and there's some young ladies, there might even be an adult in this room that's just going, I've been trusting in so many other things, but tonight I hear Jesus call me by name, and He's telling me to arise, get up, and I'm saying yes. So I'm going to pray that God will give you courage and strength to put your pride aside, your fear aside. and Tonight I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus, to put your faith and trust in Him. Our sins have separated us from God, but God has made a way, and He gave us a way through Jesus. Not just a way, He's the way. And as we call upon His name tonight, the old is gone, the new has come. It's a new beginning for you. And once you're in the hands of Jesus, He'll never let you go. So tonight, Jesus extends a hand, and would you be willing to step out of your seat, walk down an aisle? and Tonight, would you come to Jesus? I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. See, as I say amen, we're going to begin to sing, and as we sing... I'm going to take a knee, just like I did last night, and I'm going to wait for any bold, courageous young men or young ladies or adults to go, I am ready to give my life to Jesus. So, Father God, I pray right here, right now, in faith and trust that salvation is your work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. There's nothing I can do to awaken the heart of someone in this room, but only you can do it and it's by you calling their name and you know exactly the number of people that need to come forward tonight so God would you give them strength would they cast aside their fear and would they make that walk that seems as if it's so long but would you make it feel short tonight so move in power, move in passion for those who want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior tonight in Jesus name, all God's people said Amen As we sing, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you come right now. Come on, don't wait. Thanks for listening.